Well, when I say the word storm, what are the first words that come to your mind? I was asking that question to several people this week, and uh, they use words like dark, scary, windy, hard. A lot of different words that come to mind. And I want to talk to you about storms today. That's really what this passage of Scripture is in the New Testament we're going to look at. In fact, if you wouldn't mind opening your Bible to that passage, it's in Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. Just four verses today, but I want to, again, unpack this and talk with you. If you're getting used to your Bibles, Luke is about three-fourths of the way back. So appreciate how many of you make a point to bring one. And also, if, you're not, if you don't have a Bible, please know that we have provided some. You can pull that out if you'd like to be a first-hander with the Bible. It's uh, on page 722 of the Black Bibles. Hopefully, one's near you in the seat rack there. But as we talk about this, as I think about some of the storms that people in our own church family have gone through, it's just an interesting thing to me. I... I, uh, maybe as a pastor, I I hear more stories than some of you do. I don't know. Maybe you hear more than I do, but, uh, just this week, someone has talked to me about what they learned from a break-in. Someone else has talked to me about what do you do when you're being treated hostily or someone's bullying you, picking on you. What, what do you do, uh, when you're going through a, a death of a relationship or a actual death of a loved one? What do you do when you go through an unwanted divorce? What do you do when you have a wayward child? What do you do? What do you do? And we are not exempt from those things if we follow Christ. And so what can we learn in the storms? That's really what I want to talk to you about from this passage today, because I think the disciples, if they were up here talking about this event we're going to read, they could share some things. And I hope you walk out of here today with a sense of hope for the storms. And here's the question, if you're following along in the notes, is what can we learn from Jesus when dark storms come? What can we learn from Jesus when dark storms come? Now, some of you may say, I was actually feeling pretty good when I walked in here today, Jeff. (laughs) You sure you want to talk about this? But the truth is, is here's why we need this message. First of all, because Jesus said it's not if the storms will come, it's when. If you haven't gone through a storm lately, just live a little longer. The weather patterns will change. Interesting, by the way, in the last service, uh, the weather caster from Channel 20 was sitting in the audience, and uh, someone came up to me afterwards and says, that's really interesting. You were talking about weather and storms, and Storm Team 20 was here. Anyway, the point is, (laughs) is that when you think about uh, those things, you know, How do we deal with them? Because they're going to come. But here's the other question I want to ask is, when storms come, how can we benefit from them? Some people go, well, you know, experience is the best teacher. Now, there's some truth to that. But you know what? I I don't agree with that. Because I've seen people go through the same experience and one person learned and the other person didn't. I've seen people go through and become more bitter by what they go through. So I don't believe experience automatically teaches us anything. It's applied experience that's the best teacher. It's being willing to interpret that experience properly that can be beneficial. And that's what I want to talk to you about because the disciples went through a storm and what they learned in it can be beneficial to us when we go through it. So would you mind praying with me? 
before we look at this passage together. Now, Father, thank you for your desire to teach us. Thank you that we can be with Jesus and learn from Jesus and become more like Jesus. And you did that with your first disciples and you want to do that with those of us here in Springfield land. So I just pray, oh God, you'll use this time together today, your time in teaching us. I pray you'd come to every seat. You know exactly what every person in this room needs most right now. Be our teacher. In Jesus' strong name and authority, we pray. Amen. So let's look at these passages together. I'll start with verse 22. And I want you to see that what we're going to do is we're going to look at how this whole event started where Jesus said, I want you to go, let's go take this boat and let's sail across to the other side. Then I want to talk to you about what, again, the disciples would say to us that they came out of that storm different and learned from. Okay, verse 22. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall, I don't know if you know what a squall is, a violent wind. Squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water and they obey him. So I want you to see if you're following along in the notes that first he says, let us go. And his disciples get in the boat with him. And they had no idea what was in store. Maybe a little bit of an idea. Some of them were fishermen, not all of his disciples were. But it all starts when he says, let's go. Let us go. Let's do this together. Let's sail to their side. Now, again, it says lake here. We talked about this back in chapter 5. But this body of water near Capernaum where this takes place uh, is actually, you can visit there. But here it is. Here's a, a graphic. We'll bring it back again. Jesus has spent a lot of time in the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee up in a town called Capernaum. That's where this whole thing starts. And uh, we read the larger context is that he wants to sail across the lake or the Sea of Galilee as it was affectionately called, even though it was an inland lake, down to this area called the Gerasenes or the Gadarenes. And so probably heading somewhere east or somewhere southeast in that general area was where the boat was gonna land eventually. So they get in the boat and then they start out and it's smooth sailing. Now one thing this flat graphic cannot possibly do justice unless we've been there is the fact that this is 600 feet below sea level. So picture again more of a bowl-like thing. And also it's surrounded by hills and mountains with all kinds of furrows and crevices in it. So between the thermal kind of temperature that would have gone on in an inland body of water like that and also these furrows, some of you, if you've ever gone hiking, you know that in two minutes, the weather conditions can change drastically. 
And so what happened is, is that the winds would come flying down these mountains. That's why it says this squall came down on the lake. And so picture this little body of water just being shaken violently. That's what was going on. Now, let's uh, notice if you're following along, this next thing is, is as they sail, Jesus sleeps and a storm swamps their boat. As they sail, Jesus sleeps and a storm swamps their boat. Here's the thing. The trip starts with smooth sailing. As I said, some of these were seasoned mariners. We already saw back in chapter five, these people had been on this body of water since they were kids. They were familiar with what could happen. They knew that storms could come up fast and all that, but they had learned how to ride a boat in the most toughest conditions. And so it starts out, and again, we have to understand something. The Bible teaches us that Jesus is fully God, fully human when he came to earth here. It's an amazing thing. His incarnation is a miracle. But here he is. We see that he is exhausted. Think about what it takes out of you to really care about someone deeply and then imagine doing it hundreds and hundreds of times over and over again. People pulling on you, people pressing in on you. Jesus says, hey, let's go to the other side of the lake. I've got some more ministry to do over there. But the, the sailing trip, he'll give me a chance to kind of change gears here and, and you too. So they're sailing and he falls asleep. What a picture. And while he's asleep, one of those storms comes up, except it's not just one of those storms. It's like one of the biggest storms. I've, I've often thought, why is this included in the gospel? I have to believe that one of the reasons is, is when Luke was investigating this, the disciples say, there was a storm. Oh, was it a storm? We'd seen storms, but this was a storm. And so as they are sailing, a squall comes down on the boat and it begins to just thrash the water, and it's way past whitecaps, friends. It's all kinds of shaking. The, the word for storm here that, uh, by the way, Matthew 8 and Mark 4 add more details to this same account, but uh, Mark uses the word of a hurricane of wind. Uh, Matthew uses a word seismos, which means literally like an earthquake is shaking this body of water. And so as you think about a storm, I remember years ago, uh, I saw someone do this. I was at a pastor's retreat, and they were trying to talk to us about how to be still and know that, that he's God. And uh, so they took this jar. I had this jar of sand and water in it. And what they did is uh, they just, they said, you ever feel like this? And I go, yep. And when your life is all shaken up like that, when everything is just swirling, when you don't know if up is up or down is down, it, when you go through something like that, you're in a storm. And typically, that scares us. When we're out of control, it is one of the scariest moments in life. And so, if you're following along, here's a definition that I found helpful this week for a storm. It's when normal, quotation marks, conditions are seriously disturbed. It's when normal conditions, those things that we're used to, those things that we expect, that we think are normal, it's when they are seriously disturbed. The word for storm carries with it sometimes the idea almost of violence. The same idea of earthquake or hurricane kind of thing. It's, it's being shaken around. I remember flying to the Philippines once to see my brother, and several of us were in the plane, a friend of ours and Trish and I, and uh, man, I'm telling you, I, I had never experienced turbulence like that. We flew over a typhoon, 
And I mean, I've, I've thought of front, you know, front and back, side to side, but like when it's doing about 19 other things, all of a sudden you realize, I don't think I'm in control of this plane. Now, that's what they were going through in this situation, even though some of them were seasoned fishermen and sailors. And so what kind of storm maybe have you ever gone through in life where all of a sudden your life was upset? Everything that you were used to, everything that you had come to depend on, everything you found security in was either taken away or it was shaken up so badly you didn't know which side was up. These guys are in this moment in this boat where all of a sudden they find themselves in one of those storms. And let me just continue. Notice if you're following along is that they were swamped and in great danger. And notice that swamped and in great danger, his disciples go to Jesus. Swamped and in great danger, his disciples go to Jesus. Now, it's easy for us to sit in comfortable seats today and talk about this event in the disciples' life. But when it's you, when you realize it really is possible that I may die in this storm, the, the word here says they were in great danger. This wasn't like, well, you know, I hope, hope this gets over pretty soon. I mean, they, they knew they might never see the sight of land again. They're in the middle of the lake and they're wondering, what's, what's going on here? And when they get swamped, and when they're in great danger, they go to Jesus. They wake him up. The Bible says they went and woke him. And notice what happens next. Jesus rebukes, if you're following along, Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves, and all is calm. Jesus rebukes, the word there is the same word that, of how he spoke to demons. Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves and all is calm. Would you read that first gray box with me? I've listed Mark's account, verse 39 there. It actually tells us, Luke's gospel doesn't tell us the actual phrase. It just said he spoke to, he rebuked. But Mark's gospel fills in that detail. Let's read it together. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. So when that happens, when that happens, I, I want you to try and picture, I almost, I almost brought a bowl up here. I, I thought that's not going to work. And then some of you have noticed, if you've ever been in a swimming pool and you've seen someone do a cannonball, you notice what happens? Does the water immediately get calm right away? No, it takes a while, right? It splashes against the sides there and for a while. And that's just a little swimming pool. Imagine a body of water like this that's been shaken up so violently like that. It's going to take a little while just for the ebb and flow of that to settle down. But when Jesus stands up, the Bible tells us here that it immediately subsided and became clear as glass and the calm was deafening. They went from the most extreme circumstances to all of a sudden the most quiet, the most calm. And they're thinking to themselves, who does that? I've never seen this body of water do this before. And I've seen it a lot. It takes time, you see, to settle down. But Jesus settles it down. What authority. And then it's not over. Jesus turns to him. He eventually breaks the silence of that calm. And if you're following along, notice, inviting them into deeper grace, he asks, where is your faith? 
Where is your faith? Sometimes people have read that over the years and they feel like Jesus is, is saying, you idiots. He's not doing that, friends. He's asking a really, really, really important question. I said to you a few weeks ago <clears throat> that if you want to know what Jesus is looking for, he's looking for faith. Faith has become a word different than Jesus' minute. He's looking for trust. He's looking for your trust in mine. He's looking for reliance. He's looking for dependence. He's looking for people who will do all of life with him, not for him. He is looking for trust. And he says to them, where did your trust go? He's not saying you don't have any. He's saying it's located in the wrong place, or it went somewhere. Where is it? Where's your faith? They hear him ask that question, then notice what happens next if you're following along. Terrified and amazed. What a combination. Terrified and amazed, they ask one another, who is this? Who is this? He even commands the wind and the waves, and they obey him. Wow. You know, that's a million-dollar question, friends. And I want to tell you that what I'm learning is, is that who Jesus is to me, to you, who he really is, regardless of what we think sometimes, is the basis for trust. It's his character. It's who he is. That is why we can trust and rely and not fear. Who is this? The answer, he's the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He spoke this very body of water into being. He can speak over it and bring it to a calm. He came in human flesh, but he existed before eternity. He is now in our boat. Oh my goodness. Years ago, Chevy Chase, the comedian, used to say in a TV show, he'd introduce himself this way. He'd start by saying, I'm Chevy Chase, and you're not. <laughs> Sometimes I think what God wants to say to us is, I'm God, and you're not. But we forget. All of us forget. But storms give us an opportunity to remember that he's God and we're not. And that's helpful information to understand and believe because he knows how to navigate storms even when we don't. And the picture of Jesus sleeping in the most violent time of the storm, I think, is a picture he wants to have for you and me so that when we go through storms, rather than being all upset and things we can even sometimes sleep like a baby because of his anchoring our lives in a different way if we'll trust him. Doesn't mean that there will not be messiness to it. It doesn't mean that we'll always get it perfectly right. Notice the disciples don't get this perfectly right. So let's talk about, if they were standing here, what would they say to us as far as what we can learn from a storm? Here's the first thing I think they'd say if you're following along. If you're interested in learning to trust him in the storm, then here's the first thing. 
Don't lean on your ability. Go to Jesus first. Don't lean on your own ability. Go to Jesus first. And I might say first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth. Go to Jesus quickly. Go to Jesus constantly. Go to Jesus always. That's what they'd say. But notice that's not what they did. That's not what they did. So G. Campbell Morgan observes this. He says, they did everything they could before they woke him. And do not forget, they were not novices. They knew how to navigate that boat. When they were beaten, were completely at their wits end. And when they saw they could do nothing else and saw the boat was nearly filling and they were in jeopardy, then they woke him. Does anybody relate to that? God, I'll let you know if I need you. I'll let you know when I'm ready to depend on you. But let me just work this out. Friends, we are taught from the time we're little kids to work it out, to figure it out, to somehow navigate our way through, to use our smarts. And friends, please don't hear me. I'm not against being industrious. But if we're so industrious and so independent spirited and so self-sufficient and so proud, then Jesus has to empty us of our pride through storms so that we will trust in him. I'll never forget when I started seeing this in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, verses that mean a lot, I know to some of you, have meant a lot to Christians down through the centuries. Let's look at these words again. Let's read them together, in fact. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Now, if you keep this up here on the screen, what keeps us from trusting in the Lord with all our heart? leaning on our own understanding. Friends, I'm not saying kiss your brains goodbye if you follow God. I'm saying don't trust in your brains more than you trust in God. Don't trust in your abilities. Don't trust. As a pastor, I've gone into a hospital hundreds of times. And if I'm walking into a hospital, you know, if I walk in and I say, I know how to do this. Instead of, Lord, while I've done this a hundred times, I want to do this time with you again. Would you show me what to pay attention to? Would you show me what to notice? Would you show me how to be with you and be with this person in this situation? All the difference in the world. See, I can either lean on all my experience, all my knowledge, all my understanding, or I can trust in the Lord. I can depend on him. I can rely on him. I can do it with him. And then in all your ways, acknowledge him. Who's him? The Lord the Lord of me, the Lord of heaven and earth, the Lord of the nations, the Lord. He's the Lord. Acknowledge him as the Lord of my life over every detail of my life. Somebody might say, well, how do I know whether I'm learning this or not? You can learn whether or not you're doing this or not by whether you acknowledge him, whether there's a storm or not. See, when you and I begin to learn how to turn to him more quickly and do everything with him, instead of constantly seeing him as a last resort, we're growing, we're growing. And the disciples would say, this is what he wanted to teach us in the storm, is, hey, you guys still are doing life on your own terms. Learn how to do it with me. I'm in the boat. Talk to me quickly. I know a lot about this storm more than you do. Second thing is, is that I want you to notice, before I go any further, by the way, that some people believe, in fact, Sigmund Freud, the psychoanalysis he said that the reason why most people believe in God is because he's a crutch for their fears. 
What I want you to notice, though, is that the disciples, as we saw just a few minutes ago, were actually more scared after he calmed the storm than before. Why? Because it was a genuine fear of the Lord, a healthy reverence where they go, whoa, he doesn't want to just be my vending machine. He wants to be Lord over my whole life. I better take him seriously. Friends, he's not a crutch. He's the Lord. He's the Lord. He wants to do everything with us. And so they would say, you know, trust him. I'll just spell this out a little. I list out to the right of that first line in that section, Psalm 56.3. There's a story behind it. In fact, would you, would you read it with me? It's in that second gray box. I, I've used it in one of the older translations. When I am afraid, I put my trust in thee. Where, where did this come from? Why did I all of a sudden throw this in the notes? When Trish and I were first married, she went through what some of you have gone through, night terrors. I love my wife, and to watch her go through something that would just torment and make her overwhelmed with fear was something that shook my world up. And in the middle of it, she said to me, she'd say before we go to sleep, she'd say, Jeff, share something with me that I can think about before I go to sleep. I want my mind to be on the Lord. I need his peace. I said, I know, I know, I know. We'd pray, we kept turning to the Lord, we kept going to the Lord. And so I asked God one day, show me something in the Bible, and I came upon these words. When I am afraid, I put my trust in thee. And so I said, honey, let's say that together before you go to sleep. And then I said, here's the way to remember it during the day. When I am afraid, I put my trust in thee, Psalm 56, 3. When I am afraid, I put my trust in thee, Psalm 56, 3. Years later, I remember sharing this with someone in the hospital who was facing another surgery, and they were terrified. And I shared it with them, and years since, every time we see each other or talk to each other, she'll say, when I am afraid, I put my trust in thee, Psalm 56, 3. Are you afraid? Turn to the Lord. He'll help you. The second thing I believe they would say is don't go it alone, but with others who are following Jesus too. If you're following along, don't go it alone, but with others who are following Jesus too. Notice, <clears throat> they went through this storm together. Jesus said, let us go. He didn't just say, I'll take one of you. He said, let us go. We're going to go through this storm together. We're going to be in the same boat together. Some of you find this challenging because in the past, maybe you were in the boat with some other people and they hurt you. Or they said something to you and you said, remind me to go it alone. But friends, I just need to tell you, you were made for community. You were not made to do the Christian life alone. The Bible tells us that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit had such perfect fellowship and community that when they created us, they created in each of us, built us for community. 
Therefore, when we gather together like this on Sunday mornings, that can be a powerful, powerful thing in our lives to do that. But also, we need to meet in smaller groups. This is why we encourage every person in this church, whether it's one of our own life groups or some kind of smaller community, are you gathering on a regular basis? Are you meeting with other people who have a similar hunger to know and trust Jesus? If you're not doing that, friends, then when the roof caves in, who are you going to call? Some people go, well, we're going to call a pastor. Friends, the Bible never said that was usually the best approach. The Bible says is that while pastors need to be ready and available, that actually the best thing is to be in a smaller group where you mobilize around each other and you care for each other. And every time I see that happen in this church, I praise God. Because that's how we were made to do. And friends, if you're not in one of those, if you're not using the non-storm time to prepare for the storms, then when they hit, it's going to be, you're going to miss the benefit that the storm could have if you don't have some other people by your side. Man, I want that for you. God wants that for you. Are you pursuing that? Because the disciples were always able to look. I imagine there was times whenever they sailed back past that spot, they'll go, remember that? Remember that. And you and I need to have moments where we're able to say with other people, remember how God brought us through. Remember, we didn't know what to say, but we just met with each other and just quietly looked to the Lord together. We tried to be practical in our concern for each other. Oh man, don't go it alone. But with others who are following Jesus too. And here's the next thing I want you to see. Is it faith? What is faith? Faith is remembering and applying who Jesus is to our storms. Faith is remembering and applying who Jesus is to our storms. Sometimes people think that faith is a feeling. I'll just wait for faith to hit me. You'll wait a long time. Faith is a decision. Faith is an action. Faith is choosing to remember those things that are easy to forget in a storm. And so I remember when this hit me in college, I went through a storm of sorts where all of a sudden everything that had been normal for me became seriously disturbed. I went through about a six-week period of depression where any feeling of God was completely gone. Everything that I had come to trust in as far as the feeling of his closeness and all that, God permitted it to be taken away. And it purified me. It clarified some things for me. But I realized in the midst of it that this was decision time. What was I going to do in this storm? And I realized that what I could do is that I could begin to focus my mind on what the Bible says is true about God, whether I feel it or not. And I began to commit lots of verses to scripture, even though I didn't feel like it, even though it didn't seem true at moments, because if God felt so far away, and I began to memorize the first verse of a number of hymns, and I began to sing, even when my heart was sad. And I remember that one of the passages that helped me in those days was Lamentations. How's that? You got to be really sad to turn to Lamentations. <laughs> Here's what it said. All my splendor is gone. My soul is filled with bitterness and gall. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O God. And sometimes I would say that, and I didn't even know if I felt it was true, but I knew that no matter what the storm was telling me, God was 
faithful. Friends, you gotta make decisions. My mom, I think I've told you a story before, when she was 10 years old, she was baptized. She had been adopted by a dear lady who became my grandmother. She's in heaven now, but I'll always be grateful for the lesson she taught my mom on that day of baptism because after her baptism, later that day, my mom got appendicitis. And for any 10-year-old to have your body all of a sudden hurt like that and not know what's going on, that's terrifying. It's scary. And so before they went to the hospital, my mom sat down with my grandma. My grandma said, Janie, what did you do this morning? She says, I was baptized. She said, what does that mean? She says, that means that from now on, I want to trust and follow Jesus. And my grandma looked at her and said, it's practice time. This is a time. What do we need to remember? What do we need to focus on? What is still true about God in these moments? And as they began to pray together and focus on that, my mom said a peace came over her and a sense that God was going to help bring her through that. And he did. And it wouldn't be the last time. And you and I, if we're in a situation right now, one of the things we need to learn about a storm is that it is a choice. You and I need to decide that we're going to trust who God is and what he says, no matter what is going on around us, no matter what else may seem more true, because ultimately we will see that it's the wisest decision we ever made. The last thing I want you to see in this section is that if Jesus is in the boat, we cannot drown. If Jesus is in the boat, we cannot drown. Let me explain. Uh, Years ago, I I heard a man say that he was on a plane flight with Billy Graham, and and, uh, all the people, when they saw Billy Graham walk on the plane, they all exhaled. (laughs) Let's go, well, this plane's not going down. (laughs) The truth is, it could have. But the plane ain't going down with Jesus on it. And the plane, and the boat, and your life, if you put your trust in Christ, and he's in your boat, and you're in the boat with him, it will get where it's going. He will arrive. He will get you to the other side. And I'm not just talking about heaven. I'm talking about helping you get through whatever you're going through. And years later, you look back and say, he brought me through. And it wasn't because I was such a good person at handling the boat is because he was in the boat. And as I trusted him, he got our boat to where it's going. And friends, I don't know about you, but every once in a while, I just need to be reminded of that. Ultimately, Jesus went through the greatest storm ever called Good Friday. And he did it for you, and he did it for me in order to bring us back to God because of the storm that we had created by our willfulness and independent spirit and our disobedience. And Jesus calmed that storm that day by crying out, it is finished, paid in full, paid in full. This storm is over for all who will trust in me. And friends, I just want to ask you, have you put your trust in him? He's looking for your trust. Are you trusting him today? Is he asking you to choose? Are you you completely topsy-turvy? Man, Trust in him, trust in him. John 16, look at what he says. He said this the night before he went to the cross. He had told them they were gonna go through some hard things, some challenging things. The Holy Spirit was gonna help them. And then he says, I've told you these things so that in me 
you may have peace. By the way, sometimes when I want to be anchored, I read John 14, 15, and 16. This is the end of John 16. I'll tell you, there's some great stuff in there that'll help build your faith. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have what, friends? Trouble, storms, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And I'll help you. You cannot drown if you put your trust in me. So here's here's the prayer that maybe you want to pray. Empty me, Lord, of pride and self-sufficiency so I trust in you. Empty me, Lord, of pride and self-sufficiency so I trust in you. One of the things that is so beneficial about storms, if we'll apply it, if we'll interpret it correctly under Jesus' leadership, is that a storm can purify our trust in ourselves. It can purify our hearts. It can simplify, clarify what's most important. Sometimes, I don't know about you, I get going so fast, I don't even realize what's most important. A storm can do that. He can empty us of pride and self-sufficiency and bring us back to a place of trust, and he can unify us in the fellowship of suffering with other believers. So I want to ask you, what are you going through today? Maybe you're going through a storm. Maybe you're not. What's he saying to you? What is your storm? Is it like some of the things I mentioned at the beginning? Is your heart heavy? Are you scared? Are you uncertain? Would you take a few moments just to talk to Jesus? This is an opportunity to turn to Jesus. Maybe you've never, ever done that before. And this is your day to trust Christ for the first time. Maybe you've done it a thousand times before, but you're hesitant to do it now. Turn to the Lord. When I am afraid, I put my trust in thee. Jesus wants to say to you this morning, if you'll trust me, I want to say, peace, be still, 
over your heart. If your heart's feeling like this, God, God, teach me. So I want to pray for you. And I want to remind you that one of the reasons we always have people down front to pray after the service, it's not a shtick. It's a way of going through storms together. It's a way of seeking God together, turning to God together. So if that would serve you well, I hope this place is never daunting for you to step up here and pray. We're just normal people calling on the name of the Lord. So now, God, I pray for this dear church family. Some of our guests are here as well. I pray for them. I ask God that wherever people are on the spiritual map with you, that you'll teach us how to turn to you instead of rely on ourselves. And that as we do, you'll bring us through to the other side. Amen. God bless you.